Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. No matter what time of day it is where you're located, and no matter where you are located, right here and right now, you are with me, Laura Paget, on my podcast, Living What You're Given. This year, we are looking at a theme called Turning the Tide, and we're discussing various topics with various guests on how we can turn the tide on things that seem to be spiraling out of control. And you know, when we are out of control, and when that tsunami, whatever it is in your life, starts to hit, and you know you've got to do something to turn that tide, it can be a dark time. And many of us live in darkness for many reasons right now. And sometimes it doesn't feel possible to turn the tide. And indeed, it may not be possible unless we intentionally follow the light. Welcome back in to Living What You're Given. I am your host, Laura Padgett, and I always take the very first few minutes of the broadcast to thank my musicians. I so appreciate the people who have provided music for this show. I have several friends and relatives who are musicians, and so it's very exciting to me to be able to promote their work out there as well. I think artists should always be promoting the work of other people. This particular song is called Follow the Light, and it's by a friend of mine, Christine Marie. It's available on iTunes. And also, I'm going to put her information for contacting her in my show notes. So if you want to reach out to her for any reason, please do. Uh, Do check her out on iTunes or wherever you get your music. But the reason I've selected that song is because sometimes in some of our situations in this world, our personal, our professional, even our political, we can find ourselves into such darkness. And what we're going to talk about today is one of those dark periods of time that many of us have experienced. So it's very important to me to listen to music like what Christine has provided today follow the light, because the light is always there, friends, sometimes hard to see. But before too much more delay, I want to get to my guest, a lady that I have uh, come to know through Facebook. It's how we became friends, through common situations, and also through reading her book, which we're going to talk about today. I think it's going to help an awful lot of people. And her name is Michelle, and you're going to pronounce your last name for me. What is that? Rolf. Okay. I thought it was. (laughs) Yes. The H is silent. So it's R-O-H-L-F, friends. But I always ask people when I'm not certain, because I think that's really important. So Michelle is joining me today from where she lives in Phoenix, Arizona. 
And the reason I've asked her to come on today is to help us explore a couple of different areas of life that many of us are living with. It's not unique. It's just not very well publicized and probably not spoken of outside of support groups and things like that. But she has spent a lifetime focusing on relationships and encouraging others to cultivate their own healthy, healthy, there's a word, relationship. Keep that in in your mind, friends. She speaks at retreats, at women's meetings and gatherings, Bible studies, and she has a passion for mentoring and discipleship. And not only discipleship in the faith that she and I happen to share as followers of Jesus Christ, but discipleship for your own health and for the continuity of maintaining that health, which is tough sometimes. She is married to a wonderful supportive man and has been since 1995, two years after my husband and I married. We married in 93. Yeah. She lives in Phoenix, Arizona, and she has two daughters, two grandsons, and two small, here we go, my friends out there, fluffy dogs. I love fluffy dogs. I have a friend who just lost a dog, and we're all very sad about it because she was lovely. But dogs are important. Pets are important. Her book, her first book that we're going to talk about is called Losing Her, Finding Me. It is about being estranged as a parent from a child. And we're going to get into that. If there's anything else you'd like to add, Michelle, we'd love to hear it about your bio. I think that encompasses it. All right. As you can tell from her voice, friends, she's very friendly, open, and uh on this show, we try to bring people who are bringing healing messages and helping us to turn the tide, which is our series this year. So, you know, Michelle, what we're talking about today is not unique. I've already said that. There are a lot of parents out there who are living uh, in a situation where they've had children, they've raised these children, they've given them everything, and then boom, bada bing, backs are turned. And it's it feels like it's over. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, difficult to understand. And although your situation is very familiar to many people as they read the book, and as I've read some of the reviews on this book, and there are lots of them, oftentimes we feel like we're alone. And part of your mission, as I understand, is to tell us that we're not alone and to assure us that there are lots and lots and lots of us out here. So, could you briefly describe that estrangement journey with your child and how it started, you know, after having such a close relationship for many years? Sure, Laura. Thank you. And by the way, happy 30th anniversary this year. That's right. It That's was. Cool. We're still celebrating. We're, hey, we, we went to Durango, Colorado. This is just a wee aside, friends. Uh, we went to Durango, Colorado, uh, which is a little bit south of here. Just had a great actual second, third, fourth, whatever, honeymoon that we've had. Moving on now to okay. our topic, which is the estrangement of children and parents. Okay, yes. So my sto story started when, actually, when I first met my baby girl, when um, the first minute they put her in my arms in the hospital, mm -hmm. I thought my life began. And she, I put absolutely everything in that baby. Mm -hmm. I, she was going to be the life I never had. She was going to be beautiful and thin and talented and have every opportunity in the world to live the perfect life. 
And I, at that moment, put all my eggs in that basket. We had a really great relationship. I, we were, I was a single mom. Um, I divorced her dad when she was one. So we were single for about five years and had a really good relationship. We, she was one of those children, probably because we were enmeshed. We didn't even need to talk. She knew what I needed and wanted before I said it and vice versa. So that's the kind of relationship we had for about 14 years, probably. It wasn't about 14. She started pushing away and she started bucking against me more and being unhappy with me. And she wouldn't be unhappy with anyone else in the family or angry with anyone else. But it was always to me. It really amped up when her grandma died when she was 17. And that's when she started And I think my theory on this is because we started pushing her out of the home. You need to get a job. You need to find a, you know, go to school. You need to do something. What are you going to do as an adult? She was just not happy with that. So she was stomping around and wouldn't get a job. And so she finally got a job. And the first man she met, practically, there were a couple before him, but she marries and He's 18 years older and he is very controlling. She married him within months. It was okay for a while. She had a baby and they needed our help to watch the baby. So, of course, we're watching the baby three or four times a week. But once that baby turned about a year and a half, they decided that, I don't know, I said something wrong or I acted, who knows, right? And I know some estrangements. There's a reason. And I get that. Sometimes it's just because there's no communication and things get blown up. And I believe that's what happened with us is we didn't know there were problems and they weren't telling us there were problems and it just got worse and worse. And then one night it blew up and they were gone. They took that two and a half because it took about a year for them to get to that place. And about a year or two and a half years, this baby was, they walked out. And we didn't see them again for four years. There were a couple times, and if you read my book, there's a couple times I did make contact. But I am a strong believer. My husband and I were strong believers in if they said no contact, we respected them as adults. Yeah. Yeah. And so we didn't try, except for the couple times. There was one time I really felt like the Lord led me to write her an, um, an amends letter. So there was that meeting and then one meeting where we just ran into each other. Right. Uh-huh. So that one. Um, but it after the four years, I ran into her and my two grandsons took so at this in that four year in her term, she had another baby. Mm-hmm. And so I just ran into him at the mall and I yeah. met my grandson and I looked at my older grandson who was five at now, and I said, Do you remember me? And he said, yeah, you're my grandma. That melted my heart. Yeah, it does. So God gave us that whole day. I mean, not the whole day. It was a couple hours to spend with them. And then things just rolled from there. You know, she she asked me to come to counseling with her, which was a bust. And But, you know, one thing I have to say this, Laura, is that sometimes you think it's a bust, but God's working. And he was putting little snippets in her yeah. To think about and to mull on and to because it was probably 
six months later, we are back in contact. Mm-hmm. And I, she tells me that part of it started with the meeting at the counselors. So even though I thought it was worth, you know, the time was worthless there, something happened with her. So that was good. Um, so we are reconciled. She has left her husband. And in the book, I even talk about it's not just about the estrangement. It's about the reconciliation, the challenges that we, that we even confronted on that. My, yeah. Do you want me to talk about how I got through the estrangement? You know, I would, but I, I'm excited to hear that you guys are reconciled. And how does she feel about you writing this book? I asked her four times in different times. Like when I, when God said this book's about the estrangement, I asked her, I asked her again when I was finished writing. I asked her again when it was done, when it was um, picked up for publishing. And then I asked her again, right before it was going to be published. And the last time I asked her, she said, yes, every time. Okay. And the last time I asked her, she said, mom, do you want me to say no? Okay. So I'm like, okay, I just want to make super sure you're okay with it. And she hasn't had anything to do with it, which I don't blame her. Yeah. She didn't come to the launch party. You know, she doesn't ask me about it. She's, but if she does accidentally hear something, she's encouraging and nice to me. Good. But um, yeah, but she, she, I mean, who wants to have all their warts in a book? You know, we all mess up. We all make mistakes. Yeah. So I really appreciate it. it has to be God that yeah. you know gave her that grace, right? Grace to, grace. to say yes yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. And also, she has a heart very much like yours, where she wants other people to learn and grow and maybe heal too. This yes. is a tough one. And yes, I would love to hear, and I know my audience would, how you managed to get through this time. The first thing I did was go through recovery. I went to a Christian-based 12-step program called Celebrate Recovery, and I worked the program. I went to the groups. I went to the uh, one-on-one. I did the small group. I did everything there was because I knew that I had a problem because like we were talking earlier, you and I just alone, is that it's normal for an, an adult child to leave the nest. Yeah. But it broke me. Mm-hmm. I was ridiculous. I mean, I the first six months after the estrangement, I guess there is a difference though, I have to admit, because when she just left to get married, I was fine. But when it was the no contact, don't talk to me ever again, that's what broke me. And I sat in my chair and ate chocolate and watched TV for six months. I just wow. was out of my mind. I could not. Because since I put my whole identity in her, when she walked away, she took me with her. I wow. wasn't any, I was nothing without her. And yeah. so that's where, I don't know if, I, I don't think all emesh, or all estrangements are like this, but I think there are quite a few that because they're so hard to get over is because we're enmeshed and, and we don't know who we are without that child. And so that's what recovery did for me. It showed me that I am an independent person that God created to live this life independently of any person that I have a purpose. I have a, he has a plan for me and that I don't have to have other people love me or accept me 
for me to carry out that purpose, that I am valuable on my own as an independent person. And I didn't believe that. And so that's what recovery did for me. It it showed me what God said about me and it built me up to show me that I have a life and that I, I matter. And that's the, that is the, the message I really want to get across through my book and through my podcast, everything that I get to do is to say, please, you are important and you matter. Your life matters apart from your child. And for people who've never had children, I must say, this is probably totally foreign to them. But it may not just be a parent-child relationship. It may be a spouse. It may be a job. It may be anywhere where we have dumped our entire identity into something outside of us and something outside of God, really. And what you're talking about with the enmeshment in another entity outside yourself is codependency, right? Yes. So let's talk about what that is. And I think we've defined it to a point, but if there's a more specific definition that you'd like to use, I'm all about that too. Whatever you want. You know, Laura, your definition is as good as mine. I know for me personally, it's just making something, putting your identity in someone else or something else. You're dependent on them performing in order for you to have a life. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I'm sure there's more a clinical way to say it or whatever, but it is that where that other person or thing yeah. um, defines you. And then disappears. And then there you are left kind of floating. I, I kind of think of it as a head with no body. You know, one of those crazy cartoon things where there's this little head floating around and there there's no way to mobilize all the all the gifts we've been given because we feel that they just took off out the door when that person left. So there's some wonderful work out there. And you and I have talked about that. But as you begin, and we'll mention that too, but as you begin now to move into your recovery, you talk about in your book, you talk about some of these specific things. How did you begin to not necessarily, well, yeah, I would say define the areas where you had been so dependent upon your daughter. And do you think this is one of the things that sent her away because she was strangled in some ways? Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, just say that. But maybe she felt she couldn't have a life. Do you think that's possible? I think it is possible. I don't think that was from me, though. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah I think that in her, her own codependency, she felt responsible for me. Wow. Now, You'll see, if you remember in the book, her dad died young when she was young. And I'm just wondering if that did something. She was six when her dad died. Mm -hmm. And I think, I wonder if something happened there where she felt like she needed to make sure that me and her stepdad, who she only knows as dad, um, didn't die. Something in her that thought, okay, I'm responsible for, for them being alive. And even though we tried to do counseling and stuff with her to help her through that, not take that responsibility, I think that she did. And I think that that's why she felt strangled. You know, as an adolescent, you're supposed to fly. Mm -hmm. She didn't want to. She wanted to stay home. She didn't want to work. She didn't want 
until we pushed her. And then it was just out of anger and frustration. And right. And I also think the abandonment part is a huge part for her because, you know, when she was two or three, I had to send her to her dad's who she hardly even knew and spend six weeks in the summer. And so when you're that young, you don't know there's any end to it. And so to her, I was gone. Mm -hmm. And I think that from that very young, she felt abandoned. And when she was 17 and we're telling her she needs to go and get it, go to school or get a job, she felt abandoned again. And pushed out. Yes. Pushed aside. And I hear that a lot in recovery rooms. I'm in recovery for a different issue, but, and I understand that sometimes inadvertently we may do exactly that. You know, you and I were talking um, off air about we're the only animals that try to hang on to our kids forever. And you don't do that. You know, they really do need to grow up and and get on their own. I think my generation, and I'm not going to ask you how old you are. I already said I'm 72. But see, understand, my generation, that's what we were about. We learned how to work. I went to work when I was 13 years old. Uh, I had a social security card when I was 13 years old, worked at Yantorno's Greenhouse, budding carnations. Whoa. (laughs) 10 hours a day, six days a week with people who just, yeah, really were great, wonderful and all, but holy cow, you talk about backbreaking work. And I was 13, uh, could get a social wow. security card at that point in Colorado. So I always knew that was the point. You're going to work and you're going to move your life. And so I think I tried to do that with my own child too. And as I read your book, I realized, oh my goodness, it. It was a different generation. Certainly, they couldn't live at home forever. We didn't want that. But I think I was like you. You know, I just thought, we're preparing these kids to fly, like the birds. You know, I watch birds all the time. I do a lot of Facebook Live posts called Figuring It Out Fridays. And I talk a lot about what I see here in nature, because I live in Western Colorado. And man, we're right in the middle of nature, nature, nature. But I think I watch them from when they're wee wee babies. Mama's feeding them, daddy's protecting them, they built the nest, blah, blah. And then it's like, okay, this is how you fly. See ya. Right, right. And human push them. Push them out of the nest. Push them out of the nest. And gosh, that may not be the best thing. (laughs) That may be harsh, but that's how I was raised. Is that how you were raised too? I was. It was just my dad used to say his slogan was in by 10, out by 18. And I had a cousin who said, well, she goes, the only reason I'm working is because I'm buying luggage for when they turn 18. (laughs) (laughs) They come home, have a graduation party, get their luggage and get out. And that's, uh, folks, this may sound harsh, but in some ways that's a joke. But please understand, uh, I'm from the, I'm a survivor of, um, Parents who went through the depression. Now I learned tons of stuff about I can make a chicken last for five meals, even for four people. Don't ask what comes out of the crock pot. You're better off not knowing. But I know how to live. That's why this recession or whatever we're in right now doesn't scare me. I know how to do this. I know how to do this. Mm-hmm. And 
it was a work ethic that was so drummed into us. So that is one thing, recognizing that different generations do things differently. And so sometimes it's on parents to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's really hard if we come from that background. So you went to Celebrate Recovery. And what did you find out about Michelle? What did you find out when you began to realize you and your daughter were actually separate little cytoplasm buckets? What did you find out about you? Well, I found out I was valuable and that God created me, that I was on purpose. He created me on purpose. And he wanted me, he, get, he has a plan for my life. I am important apart from others, especially my daughter. I really, when I lost her to the estrangement, I kept telling people, I just want to die. I just want to die. I just want to die. People would say, well, what about your husband and your other child? And I was like, well, they'll be fine without me. They don't really need me. So yeah. I really felt like that my entire world revolved around Naomi. So I learned that that's not true, that that is a lie, that other people love me, that I'm valuable to others, that I can serve, that God has um, things for me, like ways to serve, ways to love others, way to encourage others. And this was all before I started writing the book. So I didn't know what he meant when he told me those things, but I knew that there was a reason I was here. And there was in, I guess I do write this down. Mm -hmm. um, When I, when the Lord told me, he said, you know what, when it's time for you to die, I'll, I'll take you, but it is not your business. And you need to live while you can live because you're supposed to be alive if I say so. So he was much more kind than that, but (laughs) It's like, hey, stay in your own lane, Rolf. That's right. <laughs> right? And, you know, it's interesting because one of my favorite sayings in the whole world is uh, we have a lifetime subscription to humanity. And the one who issues the subscription, the great publisher who issues the subscription, he has the option to cancel whenever it is time. And yeah. um, I know that's one of the biggest fears. I talk to a lot of parents whose kids have turn their backs on them. And um, sometimes there's addiction involved. And when there's addiction involved, especially serious addiction, there's a fear the child will die. And that, again, comes back to what you're saying, that it's all appointed. And it's got to be difficult. And I know there are people who have lost their children to addictions, or to car accident, or to disease, or whatever. But I think one of the things that I've talked to a lot of parents, and one of the things in those circles is so much is out of our control. And that's also true about whatever damages we think we've done. Um, Unless we've starved and kept them in the basement and beat them uh, black and blue, the mistakes we've made are not irreparable. Mm -hmm. And I hope that any kid out there listening to this or anybody who is um, estranged in any kind of a relationship will really evaluate what the wrongs are and see how very severe they are. And if someone wants to make amends for those, then to me, that is the beauty of the 12-step program. It's called a personal inventory, and we take it. And I certainly take one daily because I 
continue to fall more than I'll ever fly. And I think one of the questions I had sent to you and some of the things we talked about was how you were doing with that particular issue now of walking your recovery, because it's forever, right? Yes, it's it is forever. It's yeah. uh, maybe not daily, because mm-hmm. sometimes I don't see a person. Mm-hmm. But on whenever you're dealing in relationships, that's why that's one of the gifts God's given me is my heart and my love for people mm-hmm. and for healthy relationships. And and I do have a lot of chances to speak into people's lives and encourage them to listen to one another and to love one another and to look at themselves and say, okay, wait a minute, am, am I doing something wrong in this mm-hmm. relationship that's causing this or or whatever it is? So yes, all the time I am, one of my big indications, alarm bells that goes off for me, for me Mm -hmm. to say, okay, wait a minute, I need to look at myself is if I start feeling crazy, if I start obsessing about what was said or how the the interaction went or what I said, If I'm embarrassed by it or feeling bad about it, or even though the other person didn't seem to react to it, um, anything that happens like that, that kind of stuff, I take to the Lord and I say, okay, wait a minute, you know, what went wrong here? Why am I, you know, triggered by this? Mm -hmm. And, and especially another really good one that I do is, is if somebody bothers, bothers me. Yeah. Yeah. Like oh. the personality's irritating or <laughs> something, right? Oh. They say something that offends me or triggers me somehow. Then I was like, okay, wait a minute. What is it about me that I was offended by that? Did yeah. I think it's true? So is it true? Right. Right. Um, and if it's true, then if it bothers me, then I need, why don't you change it? I just need to change it. Or... Did I think the person delivered it badly? Mm-hmm. And I then I can just give them grace. I don't need to make a big deal out of it. Mm-hmm. I can say, you know what? I have said things out of being tired or upset or hungry, <laughs> right? right? That I didn't mean. Yep. So just extend some grace. That's right. And to ourselves. And to yeah, ourselves. Yes, I think yes. living under the umbrella of guilt, you know, that's really a, a very useless camp. If we want to stay in the camp of guilt, it just eats us alive and we don't have to. We can make amends whether the person accepts it or not um, as a codependent or as an addict or as a dependent or whatever. um, Whether they accept it or not is not our business. God has asked us to extend um, an offering to people of grace, but also to say, please forgive me for this. I hope you'll forgive me for where you feel I failed you or where Mm -hmm. I wronged you. And maybe ask specifically what it was. If they're willing, some people are just like, no, go away. And then that's what happened to you. It was like, boom, the door's closed. And you guys respected that. And I imagine that respect for that, not pushing, 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 probably was a piece that helped to facilitate the eventual reconciliation. I would think. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I do. I think giving her the chance to be on her own and know that we we always made it very clear that the door was open, but we respected her her as an adult 
and that if she didn't want to see us, we weren't going to make her. So I think that that was important. I I get different voices. I'm sure you do too, Laura, in mm-hmm. through our comments and stuff that we get. And, and I hear from estranged p- children who have estranged their parents. Yeah. And I just got one the other day saying that she did get cards in the mail from her mother yeah. and that when it was time for her to come back, that made it clear that she could. Mm-hmm. So I just really, what I tell parents, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule. Yeah. I All the situations are so different mm-hmm. that I think it really is go by what the Holy Spirit tells you. But if the, if they, cause a lot of times the estranged child doesn't say no contact. Yeah. Sometimes they just leave it kind of out there and you don't know where you fit, which is fine. Send a card. That's great. But if they are very adamant of, I want no contact, no cards, no calls, no nothing, then that's where I think you just need to respect them as you and I would want if we asked somebody else not to. Right. So I think that's really important. Um, There's something else you said I wanted to talk about, but I can't remember what it was. Never mind. Ah. You see, 72-year-old uh, little gray cells are contagious, apparently, even over the internet. That's frightening. That's a very frightening piece of information. Okay, folks, stay off your computers. Just kidding, just kidding. Well, I, I think what you're saying is absolutely lovely. If you think about the point where we make it, I think what you're saying is lovely. And I think that sometimes in an estrangement situation, it's really not so much estrangement as it's boundaries. And boundaries, I know um, one of my um, parents, well, both of them were, um, as I've talked about before, this is not to diss my parents. I love them. I'm grateful for them today. But, you know, my mom estranged herself from her kids uh, 10 years before her death. And we had some contact. However, at one point, she wanted me to bring her back to Colorado. She was in Arkansas. And I was married with a small child then. And I had to set a boundary saying, no, I can't do this. I can come and see you there or you can come and visit. But you must be sober and you cannot. No, mm-hmm. there was a boundary. I have another family member, a uh, very distant family member. Um, we disagree on some stuff politically. And I, and I had to distance myself from that individual too, just because of the ways that we've learned to communicate today, which are abusive, uh, to say the least, if we don't agree with someone. And so my takeaway from this is respect and boundaries for other people, but respect and boundaries for yourself. So were there difficulties? And I didn't send this question. It just now popped up. Were there difficulties when she returned to the relationship where you had to set some boundaries for yourself, not to enter back into the codependency, not to enter back into doing what you had done or, or maybe fielding what had been done to you? in order to maintain a healthy relationship. Were there some things like that? Yes. Mm. Yes. A big part. One of the chapters in codependent no more, Mm -hmm. which I, I've read over and over again to keep me on this journey is the detachment chapter. Yeah. Yeah. So when Naomi first came back in our lives, I still had that where I wanted to fix her. I wanted to help her. Yeah. And she she was very, like, she still didn't want to work. 
And she still, so it was still some of those things. And I was like, just do this or just do that. And I, so I would have to, and then it would be frustrating because it would be this big power play, right? And I would feel crazy. Like I said, when you start feeling crazy, you know. You know you're off the bus. Yeah. Right. And I would go read that chapter and I would, I would, okay, wait a minute. This is not my life. This is not my, this, she, that is one of the big lessons I learned. Another one is that everyone gets one life, Laura. Yep. And I, I, it's so unfair for me to think that I can live Naomi's life. Yeah. She has her life and I get my life. Right. So she needs to make her decisions and make her mistakes and go down the roads that she's going to go down because she gets that. It's God's gift to her is her life. I get my own life and I get all those things on my own. So I had to keep telling myself, Michelle, this is not your life. This is hers and she gets to live it. So stop trying to micromanage her or make it better or stop her from making mistakes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that was one big one is having to really keep myself on track of, all right, detach, 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 let her live her life. The other one was that I had to respect the decisions that she made. So she was in her house, out of her house, in her house, out of her house. And the third time she was coming, this was it. I think it was the second time she came in. The condition was, If you get a job, it was the third time. If you get a job, you can come back, but not unless you do. And so she came back and she didn't get a job. And I started feeling crazy. And I realized, oh, because she crossed that boundary. She, I put a boundary up and she crossed it and she is taking advantage of me and enable, and I'm enabling her by letting her. And so that threatens my sobriety as a recovered codependent. And that was the first time, Laura, I really saw that principle in play. Wow. Right. I've read about it. I've heard about it in uh, Celebrate Recovery, but I never lived it. So when I finally lived it, it was like, oh, this is what they mean by enabling and by crossing boundaries and about standing up for yourself and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And so that was another big one is, is working that boundary or the, that recovery is just working that recovery of not yeah. going to do it. And I once heard somebody say they think everybody should have to take the 12 step program <laughs> because maybe our world would be a little bit better. Um, so friends, I do want to say one thing here. And that is, I understand that not everybody who listens to this particular program has my same faith base or Michelle's, but even so the principles can still be applied. Detachment is huge and understand detachment is different from amputation. Absolutely. Yeah. Detach with love is different from amputation. And I'm just going to use this term pissed off right? It really is. And I don't want to offend anyone out there, but I'm just saying there are so many different ways to distance ourselves from a a situation that's not healthy, that's maybe destructive for us or for another. 
I love that idea of learning detachment. So if you are in this kind of a situation, or if you're finding even in, in work, maybe you have a boss that, you know, you're just this work, this job's your whole world, um, that the detachment from the pieces of it that are unpleasant can really be done. And you could just go online and look up detachment. I mean, it's not at all difficult. And the book that we are talking about, well, Melody Beatty is sort of the guru for codependent recovery. And she wrote several books, the most famous of which, and probably the Bible of codependent recovery is called Codependent No More. So look that up, folks. And I'm gonna put that in the show notes too, because I think this is such an important topic. Mm -hmm. And so we've talked a little bit about some things you did. Is there anything else that you would like to offer to a parent who's in this absolutely gut-wrenching position? The first thing you've got to do when it happens is you've got to grieve. Yep. You've got to feel it and you've yep. got to cry and talk about it. And, you know, if you're a journal or journaler, yeah. <laughs> write it down, do whatever you do to get through the grief, because right. so yep. many things are lost when someone walks away from you. And I've heard it's just, you know, I, I can't say that it's just as bad as a death or it's worse than a death because it's such different emotions. Mm -hmm. But the hard thing about estrangement that's different than death is that it's not a choice. Like death is not a choice. Estrangement is a choice. Your their child is willingly rejecting you. And that's so hard on your heart. Yeah. Um, and you're going to go through all those things. You're going to go through, I should have, could have, would have. It's I call it a parent autopsy. Oh, boy. You autopsy. Everything you've done, every decision you made, every no you said, every, right? And you just think that there, what did I do that was so wrong? What did I do that was so bad? So all that stuff you're going to have to go through. You're just right. going to have to. And know that you did the best you could. That is the biggest thing is I finally came to is that I did the best I could with my circumstances. You know, in my raising of my children, I lost my ex-husband. I lost my parents. I lost my, I mean, there's just so much death that happened for me. My younger daughter, right? Mm -hmm. She's eight years younger. So she went through the estrangement. So she told me that she felt like she was in a divorce because she lost her older sister. And, you know, she was still in contact with her older sister, but here she is in the middle. Yep. So there's that whole thing. So just know that you did the best you could. And that if we were perfect, Laura, if we were perfect parents, we wouldn't need Jesus. Hallelujah. And you know, this world, I always say to people, look, there was only one perfect one, and look what you did to him. Amen. So that <laughs> even if we were perfect, it wouldn't matter, Michelle. <laughs> and I think that, you know, I don't want to be irreverent, and certainly we're in Easter time as we record this, and we're recording it during Lent, and I'm not really sure where we're going to air it, but you'll know when it, it'll, it's coming up pretty soon. The fact is, people... Nobody's perfect. Or as I like to say, I did a whole series on perfection last year, a whole series. And the name of the series was Pobody's Nerfect. Oh, I love that. Because, 
I've often thought of writing another book and called it Poe, but he's nerfed. But a friend of mine said, people are going to look at that and think, wow, that's terrible. There's a book with a typo on the title. Uh, <laughs> the thing, you're really going to have to have an explanatory subtitle on that puppy. Yeah, you would. But I really think that the idea, and this is where I want to go with our last point. Friends, be gentle with yourself. One step at a time. And for goodness sake, if you are in this bereavement process of, and it is a bereavement of sorts of this estrangement, get off social media. Do not yeah. compare your insides to someone else's outside. Social media can do some wonderful things. Certainly I advertise there. It's where I met Michelle. Hallelujah. Thank you for social media. But looking at all the little happy families, when your family is busting apart at the seam, is just an exercise in absolute excruciating pain. And it probably isn't that way after the picture's taken. You know, remember those lovely family pictures? We'd all get together and smile and everybody get the And then the kid would turn around and cush out and walk out the door or the old man would be upset, whatever. But the fact is, nobody's perfect. No situation's perfect. The pursuit of perfectionism is a trap. And I believe that as we look at in my day, we had Wardwally and the Beeve, and uh, I really thought they were real. I really thought that's how families should be. Dad goes off to work. Mom's in the house baking bread with heels and hose and a beautiful dress. You know, the biggest problem is that Eddie Haskell has gotten caught taking somebody's bike. And this is this is American life. And this is what we were taught growing up. The Donna Reed show, all these different things. Leave it to Beaver, even the Nelsons. For those of you who are as old as me and remember Ricky Nelson's family. But the fact is, guys, it ain't real. When the camera goes off, they're just as flawed as anyone else. Mm -hmm. And so never compare your insides to someone's outsides. And I learned that again with Michelle's book. And the name of your book, Michelle. Is it's Losing Her, Finding Me. Mm-hmm. And the subtitle is absolutely brilliant. A Mother's Story of Estrangement and Self-Discovery. And if you are under the umbrella, friends, and this, I think, is not only a mama's disease, but I think it's probably primarily mom's. Mm -hmm. If you're under the impression that your child reflects who you are, that's also garbage. They don't. Mm -hmm. They don't. Very few people are going to jump up and praise the mother of, yeah, oh, an award-winning athlete or a politician or anybody. But man, they're going to jump on the mother of Jeffrey Dahmer yeah. or of another serial killer. There must be something wrong. She must have done something wrong. But don't don't let that get in there. Keep that out. That's wormwood, and it's useless. So. I'm very excited about this book. Uh, I have already reviewed it. And I tell you folks that don't run around recommending books just to recommend them. I'm an author too. And I read kind of from a critical lens, but not critical uh, to the point of the validity of the author. So this woman's valid. And if you're in this point, if you're in this place, she's given you some wonderful gems of encouragement. Hang on. No matter what the outcome is, you're valuable. Right, Michelle? Yes. And it can get better. Mm -hmm. It can get better. Yeah. It can. 
Wow. Any other wonderful things you want to leave us with? My most important thing is, I guess there's a couple of things real quick is one thing is that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. You there's one in four families. I was just looking up the statistics yesterday. Really? One in four families, yes, are touched with estrangement in some way. Um Amazing. And 27% are never reconciled. Wow. So you are not alone in this. And, but it is a silent thing. People are embarrassed to talk about it because they don't want you to think they were a bad parent or they think that it's their fault. So please don't think there's no shame attached to this. You okay. please talk to us. Mm-hmm. And there's stuff out there, you know, there's other books, there's all kinds of stuff. The thing that makes my book different, it's a memoir and it's just about my experience. The other books are give you steps to do and things that are from psychologists, which are very valid. And I recommend them. Please read them. So and and also I'm on social media. Laura, can I tell my you please? I'm going to put it in the show notes, but people are listening. Michelle Rolf. And you put that in there. You can find me at Facebook and Instagram, YouTube. And on Amazon for my book, just put in my name. And here on Living What You're Given, each year we take a topic. As I said, we had talked about perfectionism. We had talked about the beauty of aging. We have talked about different topics over the, this is my third season. And in this season, I started it out with Turn the Tide. Why? Because there's so many things going on right now in our lives, personally, professionally, culturally, globally, nationally, in our churches, spiritually, that we might want to turn the tide on because some of it's really unhealthy and destructive. And it starts with me, one step at a time, one day at a time, reading a book, reaching out to somebody who's walked my path like Michelle. And it's okay with you if they reach out to you, right, my friend? Absolutely. My email is MichelleRolfWrites at Gmail. Right. And we're going to have that in the show notes too, folks. But I really encourage you, if you're in this situation or if you're not, or perhaps you know someone who is uh, in your circle, your family or your social circle, your work circle, whatever, recommend this book. This is really, I can tell you, this is really good work and it's honest. And unfortunately, authenticity is not always popular, but I believe it's one of the first steps to healing. So I cannot, I cannot thank you enough, Michelle, for writing this book and for granting me this interview. Thank you. You're welcome. It was so great talking to you. Thanks for having me. Sure. And maybe we'll just get a Zoom and a cup of coffee and sit and chat one of these days. I would love it. I would love it. I meet the best people on podcasts. I got to tell you. I hope this has helped you if you're in this situation. And I hope it's helped you to look at yourself and say, guess what? I'm a child of God. Full stop. I'm a child of God. End of. I'm a child of God. I got purpose. That's it. And I hope that you'll be back with me. I do this every uh, second and fourth Wednesday. I have to stop and think. And second and fourth Wednesday, I'm here on Living What You're Given. 
Right now we are doing a thing called turning the tide. That's another reason that I've had people like Michelle on this year, because sometimes we can go along and we can find ourselves in a sea of pain, dysfunction, abandonment, aloneness isolation. Certainly the pandemic did that to us big time. And now trying to come out all that, plus dealing with some of the things that have happened. And I'm really grateful for this message. If you want to catch up with me in between podcast episodes or in between Figured It Out Friday, which is on my Facebook page every Friday, you can reach me at laurallpaget.com. My podcasts are there, my two books, Dolores Like the River and Jesus in Shorts, my collection of short stories is there, and my blog is there, my speaking topics are there. And so I would just love for you to check that out. There's contact info. If you want to reach out to Christine Marie, her email is going to be in the show notes too. Really, really encourage you to listen to her songs. In fact, as we finish up here, I'm going to play the entire length of this song. All I played at the beginning was just a wee bit into our intro, but I hope that you'll see that what she's offering you, what Michelle's offering you, I hope what living what you're given, living what you're given is offering you is the ability to look at the light as you turn the tide. Take care. And I'll be back with you in a couple of weeks. No